Well, you may not have noticed Alex here today. That's because he's not. (laughs) I am here. And as has been the recent tradition around here, I get to handle the sticky bits while we dismiss the children to Children's Church. And even after they're gone. Yeah, I get to handle the sticky bits. Uh, It was, let's see, a couple of times ago it was uh, menstruation and childbirth. Why does he leave me here with this stuff? Um, If you don't know me, my name is Don Romano. I am the associate pastor here at Renovation Church. And if you are visiting in person, welcome. Be sure to see somebody on your way out. You know, fill in some information about yourself and we'll give you more information about us. And we won't spam your email, promise. If you are visiting online, please scroll down to where it says I'm new here and, and, you know, put in some information there. We'll reach out to you. Well, it is our tradition. You might say it's part of our cultural distinctiveness to open God's word, the Bible, every Sunday and to learn from it each week. Today will be no exception. And it's because we are going to look at, um, in, in, in fact, and I'm going to read it to you. Uh, it might actually appear up here, but yeah, Ephesians 6, 12 through 18 and 19. Why would you say it that way? Why wouldn't you just say 12 through 19? It's because I asked that it be presented that way. Because we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 12 through 18 and then we're going to look at, at 19 and, and go backwards a little bit and see just what develops. So let me read it for you. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having gird your loins with truth, And having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. I'm going to stop there. We'll do the and 19 part later. 
This passage might be familiar to you. It is the passage that speaks of the believer's armor. And chances are, if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've attended a church where God's word is expounded, you've probably heard all about the shoes and the helmet and the sword and the shield and all that stuff. So I'm not going to rehash that for you. Uh, So you probably think we're almost done already. But we're not. Instead of rehashing all those things, I'm going to look at some of the things that are implied by this passage. Some of that are just blatantly stated. But when we focus on discipleship, we tend to kind of gloss over and go right to the practical matters. So I'm going to look at what's implied in this passage of Scripture. And and actually, you could focus on many examples of the things that I'm going to talk about. Um, Today I've chosen, well, no, actually, as I started out, it was kind of delivered to me to deal with global culture. That's a really big topic. It's global. So settle in. Now, don't worry, this won't take that long. Um, But if we're going to talk about global culture, we need to answer the question, what is culture anyway? We use the word a lot, and we might not actually know what is meant by that, But it's a pretty simple thing until you start to unpack it. The simple thing is this, that culture refers to the ideas, customs, and social behaviors of a particular people or society. Pretty simple, right? It's ideas, customs, and behavior. No big deal. Culture is kind of cool when you think of it that way because it's easy. Global culture, or the idea of global culture, assumes that the people of the entire world will share a common set of ideas, customs, and behaviors. Is that a ridiculous thing? I think so, too. You see, in order for there to be a single global culture it would require that everyone, and I have to read this here, that everyone think the same way, have the same ideas about, invest their efforts in pursuing, and behave in the same way regarding things like, this is where it gets complicated, religion, spirituality, Values, virtue, race, ecology, economy, work, the value of human life, the role of humans on the earth, what constitutes beauty, and the qualities of literature. Well, literally, there are thousands, tens of thousands of things we could list in that list. It just go on and on and on. But I'm going to stop there. 
and use this short list as though it were enough to cause us to see that there ain't no way the whole world's going to agree about these things. It's just not going to happen. There is no global culture. There are many cultures spread across the face of the earth. There are, however, people who think that there should be a global culture. People who believe that, and you know, there are people who believe a lot of things about global culture, but there are some people out there who think that the way to bring about global culture is to impose it on the world by force. More police, more intrusion into your life. There are people who think there should be a single global cultural norm. But the thing itself does not exist. The idea that there can be a single global culture is a lie. Well, it hasn't always been a lie. It's only been a lie since Adam and Eve. <clears throat> so why would we talk about that here in church during the sermon part of a Sunday morning worship service in the context of the believer's armor? And that's a really good question. And I think I have an answer. But we need to pray about this before we get into it, just to make sure that we have God's perspective on it. So if you would please stand with me and pray for me as I pray for us. <clears throat> Father, uh, this is a big idea and it can stand, in fact, it just flat out does stand in opposition to what the enemy is trying to accomplish. It's too big an idea for a 20 or 40 minute sermon. It's too big an idea for me to wrap my head around and try to squeeze into that small time frame. And so I ask Holy Spirit, do the ministry that Jesus promised you would accomplish. Take the things that are his and reveal them to us. Be the one who teaches us as we consider these things and turn it and us into the things that honor the Father. We ask it in Jesus' name for the sake of the kingdom and for the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. So this series that we're in, this is message three out of seven messages, the series we're in is called Demonic Schemes. Last week, Pastor Alex spoke about what demonic forces are attempting to do inside the church in order to lead people, that is Christians, that is us, 
away from the faith. The enemy is at work in here and out there in other congregations attempting to make us think differently than God's word would have us believe. Then God has revealed about himself and he wants to derail us from walking in the faith. That's his plan. It's been his plan from, from the beginning. Uh, Pastor Alex mentioned that last week, but two weeks ago, he mentioned something else interesting, and this is probably the key thing, that the efforts of the enemy of our souls is to destroy the image of God on the earth. And since humanity is what bears God's image, his attack is on people. And because we bear the name of Christ, we call ourselves Christians, he especially wants to take us out. He might not be able to touch us, but he can influence us. And we have to be careful about that. Well, two weeks ago, Pastor Alex also pointed out that it is the responsibility of elders and pastors to protect you and to teach truth. We have a responsibility as the shepherds to shepherd Renovation Church. And what that means we have to do is we have to exercise and make sure that as a congregation, we all together exercise the right practice of the faith. What does it mean to be a Christian in the world? It's also our responsibility to give you tools that you can use in order to help you think right, think the way that God revealed in his word. Uh, it's also important for us to guard the information that comes to you from up here so that what comes to you is not just God's word, but is a real practical explanation of it and what living by faith means today. It is our responsibility to expose the unfruitful works of the enemy, to guard against false teaching, which means to make sure that it doesn't happen here in the pulpit or in small groups, or in any other ministry of this local congregation. It is our responsibility to warn you when we see false teaching out there, especially out in the culture at large, and especially as it tries to creep into your thinking. It's our responsibility to teach you about the word, that means open the Bible and explain it on a Sunday morning. And it is our responsibility to teach you what it means to live by faith, trusting God that what he has promised and revealed in his word is all true and pertains to real life. So when we see things, that is when we, your pastors and elders, see things like the things that Peter speaks of in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, <clears throat> that is when we see the enemy <clears throat> prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, it is our job to tame the lion, 
to wrestle the lion and to tell you and to warn you and to guide you about what's going down. When we see what Paul warns Timothy about and Pastor Alex preached about last week, 1 Timothy 4, 1, 2, 3, the fact that the Spirit of God expressly says, that means it's direct. He didn't beat around the bush. He said this straightforward. In the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. And when we, your elders and pastors, see these things, we have to jump ahead there to verse 6 of 1 Timothy 4 and remember that in pointing out that kind of thing to the brethren, we will be good servants of Christ Jesus and you will be constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine that you have already been following. So it's a weighty concept. It's a big deal. It's really important. It's not life and death. It's eternal life and death. So with all of those things in mind, we're going to be looking at demonic schemes, schemes intended to mislead, misdirect, and destroy us, and ultimately put the enemy in God's place in our eyes. That's what he wants. That's what we have to resist. So today we are exploring that lie regarding global culture. The rise of this lie is connected with the concept of globalization. Now, since COVID-19, has anybody, just show your hands, has anybody heard the excuse or made the excuse that you can't have it now because of supply chain issues? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, we, that's a big deal out there. I mean, stuff just isn't available. Well, if you've experienced that from either side, then you've experienced some of the effects of globalization. Globalization is the fact that everyone on the planet is more interconnected and more interdependent than ever before. That's globalization. We all depend on each other. We all need each other. See, it used to be that almost everything a person needed in their entire entire life came to them from within maybe a couple dozen miles of where they live. Can you imagine that? Just think about a couple of dozen miles all around us. What's there that could satisfy your whole life? And yet people used to live that way. Well, today there's almost nothing that comes to us from within a couple dozen miles of our whole life unless we go to the farmer's market in the summertime, right? That's about the only way 
today, nothing that doesn't come from way further away than that and from people that we will never meet. Now, globalization is an interesting idea, and it's a real thing. It tends to be spoken about, though, from two perspectives. From the past, which answers the question, how did this happen? And from the perspective of the future, saying, what am I going to make of it? All of this future talk tends to center on things like economics and politics. And in those two disciplines, there is a move out there to cause people to believe that it's somehow desirable to force everyone to hold the same set of values for social and economic reasons. So as a result, we hear two interesting phrases associated with the idea of global culture. We hear about the New World Order. Ever heard that one? And we hear about the Global Village. And at this point, I'm just going to stop myself because... It is way too easy for me to get distracted and go down any one of those paths and ride my hobby horse. You ever ride a hobby horse? Right? It's fun, but you don't get anywhere. If the, if the rails aren't straight, you move sideways sometimes. But, yeah. You know what? I just have to stop there and... and I'm not going to go down the road of of picking out which aspects of the concept of global culture that I'm going to address. Instead, I need to drill down, I think, and we need to find some principle of Scripture that can guide us in a world that's trying to push God, not to the margins, but out altogether and take his place. We can't allow that to happen. So instead, I'm going to go back to Ephesians 6, starting at verse 12. And let's let's do that. If you've got your device with your scripture on it, or if you've got a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. And I'm going to read a little bit and stop and talk a little bit and then read a little more. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. First thing I want to point out here is that there's a contrast built right into that passage. The contrast is between Flesh and blood on the one hand and rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. There's this contrast. We have flesh and blood. We know what that is, right? That's us, right? Exactly right. Human beings. Pardon me. And these other things are not human beings. They are some other kind of being. 
And since we're talking about demonic forces, I'm just going to come straight to the point. These are demonic forces. They are out there and they have authority given by God to affect certain things. And from this passage, it seems like those things are pretty big world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. These demonic forces spoken of right there in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13, they have big impact in the world. They are out there doing what they do, and we've already discovered it. They're leading people astray, trying to take God's place in our lives, and and destroy us ultimately. Well, if you know me, and some of you do, uh, you know that I have to pause right here and build some of the context for this. Because it would be one thing if Paul was just writing this letter and he thought, ooh, ooh, this is a great idea. I'm going I'm to throw this in here. Uh, or, or if the Holy Spirit just grabbed hold of his pen and said, here, Paul, just write these words. It doesn't matter what they mean. But that's not at all what's going on here. Not at all. You see, Paul was instrumental at the city of Ephesus over a long period of time. He traveled there years before this was written, many years before this was written. And he preached, and a church was started, and he left, and he came back, and he visited, and he talked, and he taught, and he eventually stayed in Ephesus for three years teaching. Now, Ephesus is an interesting place. If you've ever heard of the Silk Road, the ancient Silk Road. It was a trade route that extended from the Pacific Ocean on the east and ended in Ephesus on the west. Ephesus was the end of the land portion of the Silk Road. Goods moving from the far east from China, what's currently called China, came across the deserts and mountains to Ephesus, got loaded on ships at a harbor that's now filled in. But in Paul's day, the harbor was very active, and those goods would make their way to Europe. So Ephesus is a key point in global commerce. Everybody who was anybody moving goods from east to west or back again, came through Ephesus. And they thought, this is a great place to put a toll booth. And so they built this gigantic statue of their goddess, Artemis or Diana. And they thought, we'll just get everybody who's coming through to make donations at the temple, and that'll be kind of how we'll get rich, along with moving all these goods. So that's what they did for a long time. And along comes Paul. This guy plants a church, goes away, comes back, stops at that church, sets up school for three years. At the end of three years, there's a riot. 
because so many people are starting to follow Christ that it's eating into the revenue of the toll booth. There were artists there who would take you know, precious metals and craft sculptures, little idols fashioned after this goddess, Diana or Artemis, and then they would sell them, and that was their income. And it was very profitable for them. But people started turning to Christ, and, and they stopped buying these idols. And so these artists got all up in arms and basically started a riot trying to kill Paul. They wanted to lynch him. One of their one of their leaders stopped them and, hey, listen, you know, we have laws to deal with this kind of thing. And of course, Paul went out the back door and left. Years later, years later, Paul was on his way kind of past, past Ephesus, on a ship, and he had to stop. He stopped at a place called Miletus. You can read about that in Acts chapters 19 and 20. And uh, he sent for the elders of the church in Ephesus, basically saying, I'm not going there. You come here. I got to talk to you guys. And so they all gathered together, and Paul sat him down. He says, here, listen, this is what's going to happen. It's already been prophesied about me that I'm going to die at Rome. But you need to understand, once I leave here and you go back, there are going to be what Paul called ravening wolves come in and try to destroy the fellowship and lead the believers astray. They'll come right out from in the midst of you. So he's talking to the guys who have the responsibility to do what I was talking about earlier, right? The, the elders and the pastors to, to guard the doctrine and to keep it pure and to make sure the practice is all right and to expound on God's word. And he's saying, no, some are going to come right from you in order to try and make profit off of the believers and destroy the testimony of Christ. You want to find out what happened after that? You're going to have to read the first few chapters of the book of Revelation yourself because it talks about it. But that's the setting here. This huge cosmopolitan metropolis, the whole world came there, different cultures, different economic situations going on, all this trade. The church started there. It started to influence, now think about this when you think of global culture, right? The little church started at Ephesus, started to influence the culture of this metropolitan, cosmopolitan city that sent people from it out to the ends of the world, literally. The church was starting to affect the culture not just of Ephesus, but of the globe, Amen. or at least the known globe. Amen. Amen. And this, some 450 or so years after Alexander the Great, 
And one of the things about Alexander the Great, he, he thought that the Greek culture was perfect and that the whole world should become Greek and there should be a global culture. So it's not a new idea. But he went out and he did what, you know, people who espouse global culture do. He conquered and enforced. And it didn't work. Except that, for a long time, the Greek language and the Greek culture were dominant in most of the world. So that, go back just several weeks now to Christmas time, Alex said, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son. Part of that fullness had to do with the idea that there was a common language over almost the whole face of the earth. So, you know, God can take the things that the enemy's trying to do and use them for his purposes. So we have to be smart about these things. We can't just let this go on. So enough about the setting. Let's go back to Ephesians 6 at verse 12. And I want to focus on a few words. I want to focus on darkness and evil. and wickedness. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. That's an interesting word because that word darkness is, in the Greek, it's skotos, but that doesn't matter. What it talks about is shadiness. You ever see things that are just a little shady, right? That's what's going on in the world. There are demonic beings out there who are keeping things just a little shady. And I got to tell you, when the sun's beaten down, shade is nice. But this kind of shade is not nice. This kind of shade talks about the methods that the enemy uses in order to disguise his lies and make them seem nice. They're not nice. In fact, Paul goes on to write this, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that word wickedness is poimeria, po, po, poimeria. I don't, I don't know what that means either, except I looked it up and it means malice, malice. That's evil intention, right? I, Malice means exactly that, in order to do harm. So these guys are out there, these demonic forces are out there trying to, you know, get their ideas out there, take the place of God, supplant God's word in our life because they can, in this shady way, bring about their evil and harmful desires and goals. And then it says this in verse 13. For that reason, take up the full armor of God so you will be able to resist in the evil day. And that word evil is, pon uh, is uh, poneros. 
And it speaks of the quality of the information and the tactics of the enemy. And what poneros means is pernicious, highly injurious and destructive. Cancer is permission, pernicious. Cancer is pernicious. It gets in, it's highly destructive, right? And it goes out and injures whatever it comes into contact with and ultimately destroys the host, the person who comes down with cancer. Wow, that's what the enemy's out there doing. The enemy's out there spreading cancerous ideas in order to permeate and destroy human beings and displace God in our lives or by displacing God in our lives. Wow. I told you it's a big deal, right? It's not just life and death. It's eternal life and death. And not just for us. I mean, we like to talk about us. But there's a world out there that we're responsible for in some degree. Who's protecting them? You have me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am not up to the job. It's just that God put me there. It becomes my responsibility. And so I have huge reason to pray. And I have huge reason to ask you to pray for me and Alex and Garth and Nick and Phil because we have responsibilities here and they're huge and they're weighty. Verse 13 says, take up the full armor of God so that when you've done everything, you can stand. So that's the key here, I think. Putting on the whole armor of God. Basically, it means take what's in the scripture, learn it, understand it, live it. Because when you do that, you'll be able to see what the enemy is up to and you will be able to stand. So having done everything to put on your armor, that is, equip yourself for battle, that is, you've only heard it for 20-some years from me, do your daily devotions, because that's where the information is that helps. And once you've done it, then you can stand. Stand against the schemes of the evil one who's trying to displace God in our lives, who's attempting to give us crazy ideas that appeal to our flesh and push God's word out to the side. Armor is about guarding against error and standing in truth. When you look at what we just talked about, that's what the armor's for. Put it on and stand. Do everything and stand. You see, all of this takes place in the church like this when pastors and elders stand guard against it all and we, that is all of us, I'm not just talking about the pastors and elders now, but we, all of us, we have this instruction from God 
suit up. Suit up, right? Today we're all going to watch two football games, right? Well, some of us. <clears throat> and nobody is going to take the field until they suit up, put on their pads, wear their cleats, make sure they're tied, right? Put the helmet on, chin strap, snapped in place, tape on the ankles, knees, elbows, wrists, fingers. Why? Because they're going to go out there in the mud and the blood and they're going to gouge and kick and smash each other so they can score more points than the other guy. But that's what we have to do. We have to suit up and tape up and put on the protective equipment and go out there and gouge and smash. This idea about wrestling, in verse 12, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That idea of wrestling is like from Greco-Roman wrestling. The goal was to smash your opponent's face into the ground so that he couldn't breathe and would stop fighting. That's the thing, you know. It's not nice shoulders pinned to the mat. It was bloody and gory and just gruesome. They tried to destroy each other. That's what Paul's saying. He, he was there when it was happening. So it's our responsibility to walk, to worship, to grow in the faith and live our lives in a way that honors God and his sacrifice by not just wrestling with the enemy, but wrestling with the enemy in the arena of the life of every person we meet. Because while the enemy is carrying that person out there to destruction, it is our job to go in and gouge and kick and smash the enemy and rescue that person. But that's okay because God has given us an incredible weapon. Romans 1 tells us, and it happened to be the same guy writing it, Paul, who understood these concepts because he was telling us these things and writing these things down. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God for salvation. So suit up. Get out there. Gouge and smash. Because you have the power of God for salvation. Working your side. Look to verse 19. The thing about the context that I didn't tell you, I kind of hinted, is that 
Paul only went to Ephesus for one reason, to carry the gospel there. One reason. That's the only reason he went there in the first place. He went back in order to fulfill his responsibility as a pastor and elder there. And he eventually posted Timothy, and, and, and John, the apostle, eventually made that his home base. It, it, Ephesus is hugely important in the first century history. So Paul only went there to deliver the gospel. And then, after all of that years and years of of teaching at Ephesus and encouraging the believers there and establishing elders and in confronting the, the artisans who wanted to kill him and running away for his life and then coming back and having to call the elders out of the city so that he didn't have to go there and, and face their wrath again and warning the elders about what was about to come. All of that comes down to verse 19 where Paul says this, pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So long ago in the bookend at the beginning and dug deep into the ground to be a foundation for the church that would spring up in Ephesus was Paul delivering the gospel. As the gospel took root and was built up and built upon, and as the church grew, it began to influence the culture of the whole world to the point that it became so uncomfortable for people who didn't have the same values as the kingdom, and so they tried to chase it all out. And hey, the principalities, the powers of darkness... They're all fighting against the culture of the church in Ephesus. And on the other end of this bookend is Paul, now in prison in Rome, writing to Ephesus, writing to that church saying, pray for me that utterance will be given me here in prison to present the gospel. Well, I have a lot more to say this morning. But I'm just going to move right to so what? So what? Because I got about four minutes. We must maintain, that's what we do in church. When we look at Ephesians 6, 12 through 18, and we make it about how do we equip ourselves, and we focus on the elements of the armor and the warfare, and we leave out the bookends of the gospel, when we only talk about discipleship, we are maintaining. But we must Move beyond maintenance to invasion. Look, I could spend the rest of my life, 
identifying the errors that the wicked world forces are trying to use in order to get you to depart from the faith. I could spend the rest of my life on that and never finish that work because there's just so much. There is something that I focus on that can guide you through all of that without me ever telling you what the details are. That is God's word. This is a discipleship message. But more than that, it's about making disciples of those who are not yet disciples. It's about finding those who do not follow Christ and rescuing them from the influence of the powers and the forces out there trying to destroy them. Romans 1, 16 and 17 I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. How will they believe if they're not told? How will someone tell them if they're not sent? I mean, it it all comes together. It all goes together. It's all a unit. And the unit tells us that we are the military unit. And it's time to suit up and go out there and wrestle and gouge and push. Yeah. That's the only hope for the world. You've got Phil and Nick and Garth and Alex and I looking out for you. But there's nobody out there looking out for them. It's your job. It's your job. Look backwards in Ephesians, chapter 4. Christ has given people like pastors and teachers and elders and apostles and things like that for one job. To teach you to do the work of the ministry. So I'm going to stop there because it just becomes heavier and heavier. And it's heavy enough already. Spoiler alert. We win. 